Good morning. Hey, it's a joy to be with you here today and uh, just love what God is doing here at Puget Sound Christian Center. Love Pastor Lance and Polly and uh, we've got a lot of stories that we could tell you, but it would probably disqualify us from ministry if you knew all of the stuff. And um, Lance and I did serve on the main streets of Enumclaw. We planted a church out there and over, after a period of time sent Lance and Polly out to uh, the meaner streets of Ording and they planted a church and now here they are. And uh, life has uh, shifted for both of us quite a bit since those early days. And there was a, during those seasons, there was a, a verse that God kept using to encourage me, which uh, is that, that verse that says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because I tell you, everything I've seen God do in my life has been an unfolding of those seeds planted in those early days. And so we should never despise the days of small beginnings. Now, when I was 16 years old, this was uh, back in the 1980s, so that makes me a little bit older than some of you and a lot younger than some of you. Uh, I was 16 years old reading a book about a man who had been uh, part of the KGB in the Soviet Union. Now, for the younger people, the Soviet Union was this country that used to exist, and it was our mortal enemies as Americans. And most of us that are uh, of, a, of my generation and older remember growing up during the Cold War. And I remember growing up in school, and I grew up in Alabama, and so we always had two drills in, in our schools. One, we would have tornado drills, okay? And then we would have bomb drills in case the Russians were coming. And we would hide... In, the, uh, in both of them, we would hide under our desk. Now, I don't know what good that would do if the Ruskies dropped the nuclear bomb on us. Because that was not a lead-lined desk. It was just made of wood and plastic. But for some reason, we were supposed to hide under our desk because there's a bomb drill happening. And uh, so we would do that. And I was... So, you know, it was the height of the Cold War. Ronald Reagan was president. There was fear of nuclear annihilation. And I'm reading this book by this man who had been a uh, KGB uh, guy that his job in the Soviet Union was to infiltrate the underground church and find out who the Christians were and arrest them and throw them into the gulag and, and to persecute them. The name of the book was The Persecutor. And he ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ, and he escaped from the Soviet Union, wrote a book about what was happening, and he, and he said, if I die under mysterious circumstances, you'll know why, and he ended up, he died under mysterious circumstances. And while I'm reading that book as a young teenager, I'd just given my life to Jesus, and I'm, I'm just fired up for God, and I'm reading this book about the Soviet Union and, and the persecution of the Christians, and God spoke to me and said, you're going to have a ministry in Russia. Now, let me give you a little bit of context, put it up in the modern day. How would you like it if you're reading a book about something happening in the Middle East and God speaks to you and says, you're going to have a ministry to ISIS? <laughs> and you think, is there anybody else up there I can talk to? <laughs> and I was 16 years old when God spoke that to me. 15 years later, I'm pastoring now, planted a church, pastoring in, in Enumclaw, 
moved up here to the beautiful Northwest, and, and I'm laying in bed. It's a Monday night. My wife is uh, teaching the women's Bible study that Monday night, and I'm laying in bed, and I'm reading a magazine article about what is happening in the former Soviet Union. The Soviet Union had collapsed. All of those republics became independent. And, and I'm reading about what is happening now with, the, with Christianity taking root in this place where it had been outlawed and persecuted for some 70 years. And, and I'm reading about it, and I said, God, what about that calling you gave me when I was 16? It was almost an audible voice. It was as real as if you were to say something to me when God spoke to me as a 16-year-old. And I'm laying in bed, and I say, God, what about that call that you gave to me when I was 16? I said, God, I don't know a single Russian except this one named Smirnov, and that won't help me do any missionary work. <laughs> Turned the light off, went to bed next morning, 12 hours after that little prayer, my phone rings. And a guy named Mike Hoy, who used to lead worship here at Puget Sound Christian Center, called me on the phone. And... Uh, he said, hey, Jeff, this is Mike, and I'd just been getting to know him a little bit through, through Lance, and, and uh, he said, Jeff, you don't know this, but we've got this ministry that's been going on a little bit in Russia, and we train young leaders and stuff, and every time we pray about who should we ask to go there and, and, and work there, your name comes up. Would you ever be interested in going? You know, I wanted to put my Mr. Cool, well, let me pray about it. Let me just, I didn't need to pray about it. I've been praying about it for 15 years. And three weeks after that, I landed in Moscow for the first time. Started working with these pastors, started training these leaders. And this was shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union. The average, the average pastor had been a Christian three years and the way, it was almost like a book of Acts type of experience was they would, the gospel would come in, people would get saved, and they would let them say, well, you got saved five minutes before the rest of us, so you're the elder here. <laughs> and now you're the pastor. And the pastor didn't know how to do anything, didn't know how to do, you know, didn't know how to lead, didn't know how to preach, didn't know how to do any of that stuff. He was just, hey, man, let's, let's try to follow Jesus. And so I started coaching pastors and leading them and training them and stuff, and one thing led to another, and they said, hey, you're Foursquare. We want to be Foursquare. And so that ended up birthing the Foursquare Church in Russia. And through all of that, God uh, somehow miraculously got me connected with, within the uh, missions department for our movement. And they ended up, they asked me to uh, have oversight of Eastern Europe and eventually all of Europe for the development of our mission in Europe. So I, for the last, jeez, uh, I don't even know how many years now. It's been over 20 years. I've been doing uh, mission work throughout Europe and uh, working in, in both the former Soviet Union and all of Europe now. And in fact, some friend, a friend of mine is here, Pastor Valeri. Would you wave at everybody? This is Pastor Valeri from the wonderful country of Ukraine. And uh, I've, <clears throat> I've been camping for a week up in the beautiful mountains in the foothills of Mount Rainier with no cell service. How many can say Hallelujah. Uh, no cell service, no Wi-Fi. If I need to make a phone call, i got to drive like 40 minutes. It's like paradise, man. It's like heaven. And, you know, when you, when, when you live tied to your phone and, you, you know, your average email inbox could be 100 to, you know, 100, 
emails a day, and you think, hey, get away from that thing, and it's, I'm a happy guy until I get back and check email. So anyway, I came back for this because this is important to me to be here with you guys. So I got back yesterday afternoon. I had a note from Pastor Valeria, and he said, hey, I'm in Tacoma. I said, hey, I'm preaching in Tacoma. Why don't you come out? So glad to have him here, and they're doing an amazing work, and uh, he's helping open up a drug rehab center here in the, in the area as well. So can we say hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus, for that. And then over, over time, we began working throughout all of Europe. And basically what we do is we focus on the nations in Europe that we don't have four square churches. And I work at helping get four square churches planted and developed and becoming movements within those various places. Right now, we've got about 10 nations that are in various stages being pioneered and getting four square churches up and running in those countries. So whenever you think about Europe, don't think about just the beautiful uh, vineyards and the beautiful castles and the empty cathedrals. Be praying for Europe. They, most countries in Europe have less than 1% of their population attend any kind of Bible teaching evangelical church, less than 1%. So it is a real harvest field that we need your prayers. We need you to be praying with us because we can't do what we do without you doing what you do, okay? Would you agree with me? You think about Europe, you'll pray for us, okay? Can everybody say amen to that? Amen. Great. Now, open your Bible apps to um, Psalm 23. Or if you're like me, I'm an old school guy. I still, I still like a printed Bible. I, I still like to hold the pages in my hand. I want to uh, draw your attention to Psalm 23. Because I want to I talk to you today about the fact that God is the God of the hard places. And somebody here today is going through a hard place. Maybe nobody else even knows about it, but you're in a point of pressure where you're going through something really hard. But your mind is being torn apart. Your emotions are being torn apart. Things don't seem like they're going well or, or you're, you're, you don't know if you're going to make it another day. Or maybe it's just been a long, long haul. Maybe it's not been a, a, a point where the pain has spiked really high, but it's that long-term chronic issue that you've been dealing with that destroys hope over the long term. But somebody here going through a hard time, I've got a message for you from the Word of God, and it is that God is the God of the hard places. Now, normally here in America, about the only time we read Psalm 23 is at a funeral. And let's admit, that's a hard place. If you're the person in the casket, well, it's a hard place. If you're the family and friends around the casket, it's a hard place. But by doing that, by just simply reading it at funerals or just seeing it on some uh, cheesy-looking plaque that somebody's made up, it diminishes the quality and the impact we have by simply reading this passage and letting it speak to us. Now, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Uh, th that would be the translation Jesus would use if he were here, I'm sure. <laughs> but I want you to notice with me, I'm going to make three statements that, that would be, if, if Pastor Lance were preaching this, he would call this your three-point stance. You know, and, uh, you know, where you get down like this, you're about ready to run a play, 
you get a three-point stance. These are three pivotal mindsets that you have to have as you approach the hard place. When I, I ran my first marathon two years ago, two and a half years ago, and, and I was never a runner until I got put in the hospital, and, and, and uh, long story about that, and got put in the hospital, and the guy said, you're about to either have a stroke or a heart attack, and I felt led to change my lifestyle. And so I started running, and because I have to travel so much, I, on average, I, I travel about 10,000 miles a month. It's kind of hard to have a gym membership when you're never any place more than a few days. But I figured I normally have my feet with me when I'm traveling, so at least I can run. And so I started running, and I thought, I'm going to try a marathon. And, and so I started training for it, and... One of the things I learned about marathon training is most of it's up here. Now, yes, you have to do the miles. You have to run. You have to do the, the hard work. But the hardest part is training this thing up here. Because when, you're at the, when you've been giving it your all and you've only reached 13 miles and you have, you're just about to hit the halfway point and you feel like you're about to die, you need, to, you need to discipline this thing. You need to be having a conversation inside of here with yourself to keep going. There's a mindset that you have to have. There's a stance that you have to have. And so the first year I did, I did pretty good. I trained for four months, ran the marathon, did great. The next year I'd kept running, but I didn't keep the training up. And I thought, well, I'm just going to run it anyway. And, you know, they have that, that quitter's bus that keeps coming back and forth and <laughs> You know, if things get too bad, I could always quit. But I didn't do any training. I just, you know, I was running, you know, five miles a day, whatever it was. And, and I thought, I'm just going to get out there and do it. And at, by, the, by the halfway mark, the, the front of my left foot was a blister. The entire forefoot was a blister at the halfway mark. And, man, I could barely move. And that, that, that quitter's bus comes up. Real cute little girl sticks her head out. Sir, you need any help? You want to get on the bus? No, no, I'm, you know, don't look at that. That's the devil over there. Don't, don't look over here on the, over on the right side where all the people falling over and having strange body contortions because things were breaking. Things were cramping. And over here was quit. Over here was despair. And I'm just having to focus like this. And because I had learned to train my mind, I, could, I overcame the pain in this, and I continued all the way through the end of the marathon. And it had to do because of my mindset more than my physical capacity. I hadn't trained enough. So when you're going through a hard time, the conversation that you're having up here is so important. Man, this, this thing up here, look, I, have, I know what your problem is. Your problem is in your head. Matter of fact, look to your neighbor and say, your problem is in your head. <laughs> now, here, here are the, the three statements that we're going to look at. The first one is, my shepherd is good. Let's say that together. My shepherd is good. Look at the, at the first four verses. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How many of you like the sound of this so far? Man, I'm thinking, hallelujah, we're on easy street. We, we've, everything's going good. Man, I've got green pastures. I've got flowing water. Man, I'm one happy sheep. 
and I'm just, things are going really good. He makes me to lie down. He gives me rest. It's some still waters. He's restoring my soul. All of this sounds so good. And then I get to this verse. In verse 4 it says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now here's what I don't understand. If it says he's leading me to a place of rest in the green valleys with still waters, why is he introducing the subject of the valley of the shadow of death? When you're walking with Jesus, when he is your shepherd, I can promise you this, he is always leading you to a place, but he sometimes leads you through a place. See, the valley of the shadow of death is not where Jesus was leading. That's not where the shepherd is leading you to. He's leading you through that. Now, when I go to the airport and I check my bag in, I don't understand why they do this, but you set your bag down and you're checking in. She said, sir, would you like your bag checked all the way to your final destination? Well, that's the stuff I need with me while I'm on this trip. So, yes, I would like it to go to my final destination. You know, I've never thought, no, send it to Kentucky. You know, it's just junk. I don't need it. Didn't want to pay for the garbage fee, so just ship it to Kentucky. I don't understand why they ask me that question, but they do ask me that question. But you need to know something. When God's packing you up for a journey, you need to know where your destination is. What's your final destination? You don't want your luggage to stay in the middle, middle point. You don't want to, if you're connecting in Chicago, you don't want your luggage to stay in Chicago. If you've ever lost your luggage, you know how, what a nuisance that is. You're going through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not staying there. Don't set up camp there. Don't say, this is my lot in life. This, is, this kind of stuff always just happens to me. God is leading you through it. And he says, whatever is happening, you can trust in him because he has watching, he is watching over you. He's caring for you. You don't have to fear any evil. I love how he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The, the shepherd had two tools, basically, that he used back in those days. One, this rod, which was like a billy stick, like a police officer's billy club. And that was used to defend the sheep. And the second one was his staff. That was the, the, the shepherd's staff that we're most familiar with. And that was so he could guide his sheep. He could direct his sheep. And so he, the psalmist is saying here, while I am going through this dark, hard, ugly time, knowing that I'm headed to somewhere else, in the middle of all of this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can trust in the fact that God's going to defend me. I can trust in the fact that God's going to guide me. He's going to lead me. He's going to take his shepherd's staff and gently lead me alone. If I fall into the ditch, he's going to get his shepherd's hook and pick me up. If there's a, a, an enemy out there, he's going to defend me. He's going to protect me. And while I'm going through the hard time and the and the fear is gripping my mind and my emotions are being torn apart. While I'm going through all of that, I can trust the fact that my shepherd is good. 
So when you're going through a hard time, one of the first things the enemy starts throwing at you is God has forsaken you. God is out to get you. God has let go of you. Matter of fact, you're paying for your sin, and he's not going to help you anymore. You got what you deserved. You're getting this thing. Now, look, my, my friend, if you're a parent, and you know what it's like as a parent, your kids do things wrong. And sometimes, yeah, they got to pay the piper. Sometimes there's some stuff that needs to happen. But it doesn't stop you from being a parent. And you will defend them. You have a rod and you have a staff when it comes to caring for your kids. Your father in heaven is a greater parent than you could ever be. And when you're going through something, yeah, you may have sinned, but he's not going to let it destroy you. His rod and his staff, they will comfort you. You may be falsely accused of something, but his rod and his staff, they will comfort you. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care what kind of a dark, dismal place that you have found yourself in. God is guiding you. God is protecting you. God is leading you through that. My shepherd is good. The second thing I want you to notice is in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here's the second thing I want you to know. That you, my, abund, my provisions are abundant. It's a mind-boggling thing. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Crying out to God, what about the green pastures? What about the still waters? What about a restored soul? God, all of those promises make me even question your, your word, your reality, all of this. God, what are you going to do about this to get me out of this valley? God says, hey, let's eat. Let's have a sandwich. Let's just sit down here and talk for a little bit. Let's have a barbecue. Let's, let's just enjoy ourselves right here. He sets a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Here, all your enemies, all surrounded around you, all of the hell, it seems like, is giving you its full undivided attention, attacking you, ripping you apart. And what does God do? He shows up with lunch. Say, hey, God, man, what's happening here? Let's, let's eat. I picked up some drive through And right there in front of all your accusers, right there in front of all your enemies, God sits down and says, hey, you want some of this? How about some, you want some baby back ribs? Well, I, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe this was not the Jewish thing, but uh, <laughs> pulled pork sandwich, bacon cheeseburgers, whatever it is that you would be eating. He says, let's just have a good time right here in the middle of this. Because no matter how dark it is, his provisions for you are still abundant. Because you're in that hard time and you're thinking, are we ever going to eat again? Are we ever going to have anything again? My wife and I lost everything that we own except the clothes we were wearing. Our house caught on fire in a winter storm. It was, the windshield factor was 50 below zero. It was so cold the water on the fire truck froze. And all they could do is stand there and watch our home burn to the ground. We lost everything except the clothes we were wearing. And in the middle of all of it, God said, I will give you beauty for ashes. 
My friends, it doesn't matter how dark it gets. God's provisions for you are abundant. He sets a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Learn how to relax in the middle of your conflict. Sometimes the best thing you can do in the midst of a crisis is have a party. <laughs> Try it next time you're really in a hard time. And you want to sit down and drown your sorrows in self-pity and say, it's so bad, it's so horrible. Get a few friends together and say, hey, let's get together and do whatever it is. You, let's go for a bike ride. Let's go for a round. Let's, go do, let's get together and have a party. Let's do something. Because he, he gives you a table in the presence of your enemies. He doesn't wait for you to get through. He just right there in the middle of it. He sets up shop. Then notice the next thing in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you have convinced yourself that bad times are chasing you. Hardship is after you. My wife was, uh, went to a women's event one time. We were pastoring out in Enumclaw, and her and some of the ladies from the church went down to, to Portland or somewhere. And I forget exactly where they were at, but as they were driving back, somewhere between Centralia and, and uh, Olympia, you know, there's that stretch of, of the I-5 I that's kind of, there's nothing out there. And right out there, the, the, the lady that my wife was riding with, the car runs out of gas. And the lady says, right as it happens, she says, why does this kind of stuff always happen to me? As if she had this empty gas tank chasing her <laughs> all the time. Just going to get you. You just wait. I'm waiting for you to be right in the middle of nowhere. And I'm going to drop this empty gas tank right on your car. Wham, there you got it. You know, the, the logical, this is why I'm not pastoring anymore. I just said it happens to you because you don't put gas in your car, woman. <laughs> That's why Pastor Lance is a better pastor than I was. <laughs> I, my, my counseling was very short. Get over it or die with it. <laughs> that was my counseling session. Hey, they didn't pay for it, so what else do you expect? <laughs> so I just say, get over to die with. So they're out there in the middle of nowhere, car runs out of gas. Why does this kind of stuff happen to me? Revealing a mindset that stuff's just out there chasing you. Let me tell you something. Hardship's not chasing you. God's anger's not chasing you. God's goodness and God's mercy are chasing you down. God's goodness and God's mercy is always looking for you, saying, I want to get you, I'm going to get you. And it's chasing after you. Goodness and mercy are following me everywhere I go. The goodness of God, his unmerited favor, the fact that he loves me for no other reason than I exist. I was sitting with one of my grandkids the other day. And I just, I was holding her and I was loving on her. And I said, do you know how much I love you? And she said, oh, yeah, Grandy, and I know you do. I said, do you know why I love you? Grandy, I don't know. I said, I love you 
because you exist. I love you because you're mine. See, I don't want them to think I love them because they do stuff for me. I don't want them to think I love them because they get all A's or they, they eat all their peas off the plate. I don't care about that. I love them because they're mine. Goodness is chasing me everywhere I go. I might be going through a hard time. I might be going through a dark valley, but goodness is still chasing after me. And mercy is chasing after me. See, the, the theological difference between grace and mercy. Grace, grace deals with the sin. Mercy deals with the consequences of the sin. So not only is God cleansing, purifying, but he's given mercy. He doesn't treat me as my sins deserve. In fact, he treats me so good, so nice. And when you're going through a hard place, you need to know that goodness and mercy are chasing you down and that you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There's an, always that invitation to come even into his presence in the midst of your hardest point. Now, that's the mindset that we have to have. And because of that, I want you to notice, let me give you three takeaways. Because our shepherd is good, because our provisions are abundant, because our life is blessed, because of those three things, I can embrace the hard place as a good place. Because the hard place is a good place because God is working in me. When I go through a hard time, when I'm going through this difficult situation, God is cleansing my heart. Now, if you go through one of the most tragic things that I could ever possibly imagine a human being could go through, is through the loss of a child. And some of you have probably gone through that. And you've probably heard some stuff that people say that you really just wish they would be quiet. Sometimes the best thing you can do is absolutely say nothing and just do what the scripture says, weep with those that weep. And sometimes, you know, people go through some tragedy like the loss of a child and people say stupid, ungodly, idiotic stuff. Like, well, God always takes the best. Or God's, God's doing this to teach you something or something stupid like that. Don't ever say something like that. But when somebody is going through that deep, dark, hard place, God is still there. And in it, he is working inside of you. There's always grace there. There's always mercy there. There's always compassion there. God is working in us. David said in Psalm 119, this is before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now... I keep your word. Some of you have been harnessed by some afflictions. You've found out that the way of the transgressor is hard. You've learned that obedience to God is always the right thing to do. And you've learned in your hard times that God is working in you. Even Jesus himself, the Bible says in Hebrews, even Jesus learned obedience through the things he suffered. The hard place, the second thing I want you to know, the hard place is a good place because God is revealing himself to me. How could I know that he's Jehovah 
my healing unless I had experienced some sickness? How would I know that he is Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, my victory, my banner, if I hadn't gone through a battle? See, we, we love the parades. We love the victory parades. But how many know you've got to have a battle before you have a victory parade? How would I know that he's my deliverer unless I knew the cruel taste of bondage? How would I know that he's my provider if I didn't know what it's like to be crushed by poverty? When Debbie and I were planting that church and we had nothing, went to Safeway to buy just a bag of groceries. I only had like $20 to my name, just a little bit of money. My little daughter, Elizabeth, she, at that time, she was about that tall, about that high. We're walking through Safeway, and she says, oh, Daddy, I want a pineapple. I said, oh, honey, I'm so sorry. You know what this is. Dad, you know what this is like. You want to give everything to your little girl. You want to, you want to be a provider. Now, standing in Safeway, Daddy, I want a pineapple. Honey, I'm so sorry. I can't afford to buy you a pineapple. I only have this much money. I don't get paid again for two weeks. I can only buy this, and that's why they take us. She was happy, and we went home. The next day, I came home. And to this day, I don't know how it happened. But I walk into my house, walk into the kitchen, and sitting on the kitchen counter is a bag of groceries filled with groceries. Don't know where they came from. Don't know how they got in my house. And sitting right on the top of that grocery bag was a big old dull pineapple. <laughs> and it dawned on me. When we were walking through Safeway and my little girl says, Daddy, I want a pineapple, she wasn't talking to me. Her father heard her, Daddy, I want a pineapple. And he provided groceries. And he provided my little girl a pineapple. Because he's a good God. He takes care of us. The third thing I want you to hear, that the hard place is a good place. Because God is working out his plan for my life. Sometimes he needs to take the hammer and the anvil to the situations of my life and beat it into submission unto his will. But he's preparing that stuff so I can walk into it. You might be ready, but your circumstances aren't ready. And that hard place is God preparing the place for you to walk with him. And so today I want you, my friends, though you may be broken and tattered through your dark, hard place, though you may be going through something that nobody else even knows about, I want you to know, my dear friend, that your shepherd is good, your provisions are abundant, and your life is blessed, and that God is for you. And if God be for you, who can be against you. There is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. But God has blessed you, equipped you, resourced you, and he delights in you. Can we give him praise and honor and glory today? Pastor Lance.